With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Off The Bench with Jason Matthews. A look back at the week in sport and the big interviews. Yeah, welcome back to it for another big week. Jason Matthews here with Off The Bench NRL. Scotty Sattler and I caught up with some great guests uh, throughout the week, including Hook Griffin, the coach of St. George um, Illawarra Dragons. We're going to have a, a bit of a chat with him real soon. Um, one of the a great star we had on the show, Ben Duarshus uh, from the Sydney Sixers. Of course, they're, they're preparing to kick off BBL 11 this weekend uh, against uh, the Melbourne Stars. Uh, and, oh, we caught up with a great journalist from uh, the Daily Telegraph. Do you remember back earlier in the week? that we actually had a brand-new boxing world champ. Yeah, we certainly did. Grantley Chiesa. Uh, we spoke to him about the wonderful effort uh, from George Cambosis Jr. Uh, from last weekend. We'll have a chat with him and, and see what he's got to say and what's in store for him coming up. Uh, but right now, as promised, the hook, the great coach from the Dragons, Anthony Griffin. Time to catch up one of our favourite coaches in the NRL. In fact, I'd say favourite He's always very generous with his time. And boy, Sats, hasn't he got some recruits for 2022? I'll let you go through within the St. George Illawarra Dragons head coach, Anthony Hook Griffin, joining us now on Sports Day. G'day, Hook. How are you, guys? Yeah, very good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Thanks for joining us, uh, Hook. Uh, as Jay said, you're always giving with your time and and very active in the market through 2021 for 2022. And um, no less than, than nine or ten really good recruits. Um, how have they all how have they all settled in? Uh, they're going well at the moment. Um, we're still waiting on uh, the guys from Manly, Moses Surley and Jack Jajeski, and the South guys uh, come back uh, the last week of the playoffs. Um, uh, Sewer and Moga, um, obviously they, they all get their time off and they come back at different times. But uh, every, we've got. 33 at the moment working and um, it's going really well, Sats, going, going really well. The new age pre-season training, uh, what we see now, is, as you just alluded to there, Hook, is players returning sporadically based on length of the season, their age, etc. <laughs> How difficult is it to, to get a connection with the group when you've got so many new recruits coming in from all these different cultures? It's, it's a little bit different. Obviously, each year it, it gets a little bit different, as you say, with the, the way things get done these days. But, I mean, um, yeah, the group we've got together at the moment, we've got Aaron Woods, Frank Molo, uh, Moses Umbai, you know, those type of guys that have joined us. And they've fitted in really well. They've been, they've been excellent. So um, I'm sure the other guys, we've had them in. Though, uh, Jack uh, Jeske was in today, actually. So we've had them all in and, um, you know, done a screen of them and had a good chat to them, and they're obviously all looking forward to coming back. But you, you know, the way the world works now, you you work in with the players' association, and the, and you know the, the I suppose the policy they have these days, and as 
they come in, um, I'm sure the, the other guys will fit in just as well. I think you've got some tremendous signings and, and well done to yourself. You know, you, you've got a great recruitment background yourself uh, with the Melbourne Storm in your early days. But Mo yeah. Zumbai, I think, is a great signing. I think you'll get the best out of Toto Monga. Uh, Francis Molo is an outstanding signing, as is Jaden Sua and Moses Suli. Now, Mo Zumbai hook, what position do you see him in? And so I suppose a two-part question, is Moses Zumbai the player that's got to start embracing that number 14 jersey and how important that can be to a side? That's a really good question, mate. And, and Moses, uh, when I first met him in the middle of the year and had a chat to him, he he actually wants to embrace that role. He, he wants to be that team man that can um, uh, can do a job anywhere that we need him on any given weekend. And whether that be fourteen or, or playing, you know, in the spine or, or he's played state of origin at, at centre as well. And to his credit, he he he. Uh, He's come to the club with a really selfless attitude and, and basically said, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do to get into the team. And that just makes a player like that, when he's got an attitude like that, so much more valuable because, he has a, you know, you know, he's played a lot of top-class footy. He's played Origin. He's played in grand finals with the Bulldogs. And um, he was unhappy with the way it went at the West Tigers from his own point of view. He, spoke very well about the club when he left and he, he felt he, he'd lost his way a little bit and didn't blame anyone for that and um, just is looking forward to try and you know get um, every bit every bit of um, talent out of himself uh, over the next couple of years yeah he's a tremendous young guy as well a great family man a good club man now Jaden sewer I think this is a sensational signing hook to be quite honest you, you've always got to have that one lunatic in your in your Ford pack, he's the one that's that has that uh, that great controlled aggression. Now, did you have a fair bit to do with him at the at the Broncos as a young kid? I didn't, mate. He was in our academies. I remember I was talking to him when we when we were having a chat early in the year. I remember going to academy training when I was the head coach, and he was sixteen or seventeen. And I could always remember the way he used to hit when they, when they do tackle practice, and um, it's always stuck with me. And, I've followed his career, obviously, since then. Um, so uh, he was just coming through at the time. He was 17, 16, 17 years old, uh, went into their 20s and ended up at South. And yeah, he's a great signing for us. He's only 24. Uh, he's played a few Origin games now, played a grand final, along with Frankie Molo, who played Origin this year, who's only 27. So they're great pickups for us. Um, and looking forward to getting them into our pack. Hook, how's Andrew McCulloch's uh, recovery going and how important is he to the leadership of the team? He's going great, Jason. He, did, he actually did his first full uh, conditioning session today. So he's back uh, full training. Uh, he's, he's been doing skills and and being rotated in and out of the uh, different rehab groups. But today he, he peeled off his first session. He's a great leader. His experience is invaluable, obviously. Um, again, another guy that played Origin last year. And um, uh, the guys just love playing with him. Mac is one of those guys that everyone want, you know, want to play with. And um, you know, part of that, as you mentioned, is because of the way he leads on and off the field. So uh, we're really happy that he's back. Uh, when he did his ankle against Penrith, it, uh, it, was, it was a really bad... Um, bad breaking or bad surgery he had to have so we were at our fingers crossed but he's back 
no, he looked really good today. It's always important, isn't it, Hook, to get that balance between youth and experience. Do you feel as though you're, you're nearly there? Yeah, we're getting there. Um, we've got our share of young guys coming through, but as you know, Sats, it's when you've got good young players, you want them playing in a really strong, stable side so uh, you know they don't get as exposed as what they might if you know if they're um, you know if they're in a side that's not so strong. So we, you know, part of our strategy and the way we're building our list is also to make sure that our young juniors, when they come through, um, get a, as smooth a ride as possible so that they can you know fulfil their potential. And um, so we've had a focus on making sure we got a lot of the guys we've just spoken about so that. You know, Amon and Sloan and Sullivan and Ramsey and those type of guys, um, you know, get to play with a team that can protect them and also put them in positions where they can use their talent. So um, we've been really strategic and patient with that over the last year uh, about the people we bring into the club. Um, and, you know, we've got a couple of old blokes you haven't spoken about yet in, you know, uh, Georgie Burgess and Aaron Woods that, um, are at the you know, different end of their careers, but are really desperate, you know, to finish their careers off well, and that's why they've come to our club because they're excited about the, you know, what they see and the younger guys that are coming through. You, you mentioned George Burgess, who's come back from that hip injury, coming back from the Wigan, Wigan Warriors. Um, if you, we got a lot of Dragons listeners hook, and we get constant questions about the Dragons. How? How's that hip uh, hip surgery? Um, how's that played out now that he's in recovery? He's going really well. Uh, we we did a lot of research into that. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a, still a pretty rare surgery uh, in England. They've done a fair um, a fair few of them. They've got a couple of rugby union players that play at the top level that have had the same surgery uh, in the professional comp over there, and, and both forwards. Um, so our staff spoke to the surgeon and the physiotherapist over there and they did all, you know, George's and the other guys. I just spoke about their surgeries and we, re, you know, researched their recovery and, and um, what we needed to do for him before we took him on. And uh, he's going really well now. Again, uh, he's telling you back into full training. He looks great. He's um, in really good shape. Uh, he's still got a little bit of weight that to strip off, which will, which um, will come off as he as he gets more mobile and does more running. But he's on target to um, play in our trial of Mudgee against our Sydney, and he's he's got that one circled on the calendar because <laughs> as he keeps telling everyone, he, he, he wants to play against Tom and and show everyone who the best twin is. So uh, <laughs> he's he's on target, mate. He's training well. He's almost back to full training. He does all our contact. Um, uh, you know, he, he mod- we modify his conditioning work a little bit, but apart from that, he's full weights, uh, full contact, and um, full skills. So he's looking good. Hook, have you got a skipper in mind for 2022 yet? Yeah, Ben Hunt. Uh, thought he did a great job last year. It was just a shame he only got to play. I think it was 14 or 15 games. He had a, uh, he had a couple of long stints out with injury, particularly at the back end of the year, but uh, he was sensational for us last year mm. in his first year as captain. You know, both his form and um, and the way he, he took on the role, um, he, he'll be better for that experience too. It was, was 
quite beneficial in a way, even though we would have loved him out there at the back end of the year. He spent the last six or seven weeks of that season having a look at the uh, the team and the, and the way we played, and you know, from a, I suppose a staff point of view, sitting with us watching the game. So uh, he learned a lot from that as well. But um, he he's, he was a great leader for us last year, and he, he he'll do a good job for us this year, I'm sure. Now the battle for the number one jersey hook. Ramsey v Sloan. Now, does young Sloan get the jump with his back of uh, his end of season attacking form? No, uh, we've just given them both every opportunity. Uh, sets. Um, we've taken a real uh, hands-on approach with both of them, by, and the assistant coaches are working really closely with them because we've got to fast track them. They're both early in their careers. Uh, Bearing in mind, we've also got Moses on by that can play fullback as well. Um, so those three guys are sharing the reps there, but uh, those two guys are obviously our future, uh, Ramsey and Sloan, and different types of players, but exceptional talents. Um, so we'll we let them uh, duke it out, mate. And um, <laughs> Both of them can play wing, wing as well. Um, they're both putting really good uh, size on. They're going to be a lot more physical. They're both up around the 90 kilo now. They played last year at the sort of lower to mid-80s, um, but they're, they're both really good talents and um, we're working really hard with them and they're, they're really taking it on board as well. And as, as far as um, an education, uh, fullback's just such a, a different position now than what it was, you know, even five years ago or ten years ago. It's a real uh, key to your spine, both attack and defence, so we're, we're trying to fast-track that education for them. Now, your recruitment, your eye for, for a good talent hook has always been there from a, a very young age when you decided to go into rugby league at, at, the, at the senior level. And, and once upon a you know, every now and then you get, a, you get a diamond in the rough and you get this young 5'8", by the name of Junior Amone, still only 19 years of age. He doesn't turn 20 till April next year. Is he, a, is he a kid that you don't want to put too much pressure on but you're equally excited to coach a, a player with this much talent? Oh, he's a special talent, Sats. Yeah, I think everyone saw that last year. And, uh, uh, you know, again, you don't want to talk about too much, but the thing about Junior, he's got that, that thing you can't explain. He's just got that presence about him, even at a younger age. He, at 19, he came straight out of the SG ball to his London. I think we played Canterbury and he scored a try in his first first game. He, he backed up up the middle of the field, but... He's got a lot of work to do, but he has that—he has that class and that presence about him. Um, the way he trains, the way he moves, and you know, as does you know, another boy we've just re-signed on a long-term deal, Jaden Sullivan. Mm. Um, different, different types of players, but Sully's uh, a more like skillful, electric type half, and Junior's that bigger—you uh, know—can can, can uh, take the light off himself and his footwork and strength. So. Now, probably the most important question I'll ask you, um, and it's got nothing to do with rugby league, Hook, <laughs> is that when the borders open back up for for the <laughs> Southerners to go to Queensland, if there are Southerners that are going to go to your hometown of Rockhampton, where would be yeah. the best watering hole to visit? Oh, dear. I've got to think of... I've got any mates up there with pubs to start with. <laughs> uh, well, my favourites <laughs> are Criterion, so... 
Yeah, the criteria is the good one, and uh, I don't know if Ray Fenland's still got the Cambridge, but uh, um, the Fenland's are good people. The Cambridge was always a good place to have a beer, but uh, probably the criteria. Yeah, that's a on the on the river there, great place. Um, Sounds yeah, like sounds uh, like you're doing an ad hook for the for the pub. Did you, <laughs> did you get back up there at all uh, at the end of the season uh, since you were in Queensland? I did. I ducked up quickly to see my mum and dad. They're, they're both in their nineties, and oh, wow. I don't get to see them that much. And uh, particularly over the last couple of years with COVID, obviously. But uh, when we finished, uh, I ducked up there for three or four days, and I'll get up there for a couple of days over Christmas. I'm spending Christmas in Brisbane this year. Uh, with my wife's family, but in between I'll, um, I'll I'll get up there quickly overnight and say hello to them again. But yeah, you couldn't go wrong with the Criterion, sir. <laughs> do, do you enjoy getting back to Rocky Hook just to relax and just be around family and friends? Yeah, I love Rocky. Jason's always home for me. You know, I've obviously been around a bit Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane, but um, uh, whenever I drive or fly in there, it, it's always home. I still got a lot of family up there, and um, we had a great childhood. You know, which, like a lot of country kids, was was built around you know rugby league and cricket. And um, in, in a small country town, it was uh, it was just a great place to grow up. So. Uh, uh, whenever I get a chance to get there, I, I make sure I do. Well, the Brown Park, the local rugby league ground there, Jase, yeah, the best steak sandwich in the world. You, you claim this all the time. <laughs> the best steak sandwich in the world. Uh, good on you. Yeah, I, it, was good. it was great. We got a few games up there, yeah, wasn't it? Was yeah, good. it was great. It was just great for, for those towns. That was one of the, the pluses about COVID was those little towns Ty and Rocky got to see, you know, four or five NRL games. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Let's hope we have a, a COVID-free season this year, mate, and you can just, you know, live at home and, and do normal things, which I'm sure helps with the, the team environment as well. Uh, Anthony Griffin, uh, head coach of the St. George Illawarra Dragons, thanks for your time. We always appreciate it on Sports Day. No worries, guys. Any time. Welcome back. This is Off The Bench NRL. Hell of a fighter, but I won tonight, man. Everybody know that. The referee raised my hand. I won tonight. I don't care what anybody says, yo. I won tonight. Hey, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I've been here. I've done that. I want to thank God. I want to thank everybody that came out tonight. Look, I ain't no sore loser. I take my wins like I take my losses. At the end of the day, man, I'm a true champion. I came out here. I did what I had to do. And I went out there and I did my best. Yo, I don't care what anybody says, man. I am as well as they come. And watch, this is the takeover, man. We don't stop. We keep coming. I scored it. Well, 11, uh, 10 2. You believed you won 10 of the 12 rounds? Yes, I did. George? Listen, you got to move up, bro, because <laughs> you're a bit delusional, brother. All right? Listen, I got the belts. I won the fight. I won the clean and clear. Look at your face. But you know what? I give you respect. I came here. I gave you the, the respect in the ring, and I won the fight. I got the belts. Take a look at champ. Move on. We do it again in Australia. 80,000 people. Me and you, brother. What a war we'll have in Australia. Let's do it again. How's that, though, being supported by your opposition box? home crowd in the end. That was Lopez and, of course, uh, George Cambosis uh, having a chat after the fight yesterday. A lot to unpack with uh, Lopez's um, comments there, Sats. And let's bring in one of the best in the business, Grant Lee Geezer, uh, author and journalist for the Daily Telegraph, written some great books as well. Grant Lee, welcome to Sports Day, mate. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was a tremendous performance by 
George Cambosis. He, uh, he didn't get a, a great deal of love from uh, Australia before the fight, uh, but he certainly uh, he certainly won the country over with that performance. It has to be one of the very best ever boxing performances by an Australian of all time. It was just brilliant. To, to go over there to Madison Square Garden, uh, the mecca of boxing, and to beat a really good champion in, in Lopez, who'd just come off a win over Vasily Lomachenko, who was regarded almost as a superman, and for uh, Cambosis to do the job on him like that, drop him and then out-tough him in the last couple of rounds, it was just a magnificent performance. Uh, is he delusional, Lopez, uh, thinking that he won oh, the fight 10-2? Yeah, yeah well, I mean, you know, all Cambosis had to say was, mate, look at your head. You know, <laughs> it was like he needed a face transplant. Like, his whole head was just... It was just a mess. It was just battered all over. And if you judge who who won the fight by how they looked, I mean, Cambosis was heaps fresher. They both took a lot of punishment, but Cambosis was on top uh, from the time that he decked uh, Lopez in the in the first round, and he just kept applying pressure. The, the fight had some sort of similarities um, uh, with uh, Jeff Horn's win over Pacquiao in that Jeff Horn dominated early, fell into a bit of a, a tough spot um, uh, late in the fight and then came back to, to wrap it up. And that's what Cambosis pretty much did. He, he fell into a bit of a hole late in the fight when when it looked like Lopez might surge it on and, and, and stop him. But then uh, he held tough and, and came on strong and, and he's the new world champ with all the belts. Fantastic. Now, Grant Lee, I've, I've always regarded you as one of the best boxing journalists in the world, not just in this country. And, oh, and to our listeners as well, you. they may not know that he was... You're also part of Johnny Lewis's crew back in the glory days of Australian boxing with you know, Harding and, oh, yeah, and Fennick well, and Lovemore and yeah. and those those boxers. You just mentioned earlier on, as a historian of the sport, you said it's up yeah. there, or if not one of the greatest Australian performances. Where does it rank along the likes of Famishon and Lionel Rose and Jeff Harding? Why does it sit amongst those those achievements? Well, it's got to be right up there at the very, very top. You know, uh, it's hard to say which is the best. I mean, Lionel Rose went to Tokyo and beat Fighting Harada only 20 years after World War Two. You know, before what would what you would have to say was a pretty hostile crowd in mm. Tokyo, 1968 against Fighting Harada. And Fighting Harada was a multiple weight world champion. You know, he'd been the flyweight champ and then he was the bantamweight champ. And Lionel just took it to him. You know, there's hardly a hardly a friend of his in the in the whole big crowd there at the um, at the Budokan Hall. But Lionel Rose. Who only a few years earlier, believe it or not, had been sleeping on a dirt floor, you know, with a possum skin rug in a in an Aboriginal camp in in country Victoria, goes over there and, and stuns the world. So that you can't take anything away from that performance. Back in the 1950s, Jimmy Carruthers went over to South Africa, uh, took on a very very good champion, Victor Wheel, who'd been champion for a long time, was undefeated, and Carruthers just came flying out of the gates and knocked him out in the first round. Uh, I think the punch score was. Carruthers threw 147 punches. Uh, Towheel threw one that missed. He was under that much fire. Uh, Carruthers just overwhelmed him and, and knocked out this very good champion in the first round at Grand Stadium in Johannesburg. And then, of course, you've got Costa uh, going over to beat Zab Judah, who was a great, a great fighter. Costa nailed him in the second round, and Zab was sort of wondering, you know, which bus ran him over. And then you had. Uh, one that I was ringside for, I'm very lucky to be there with uh, Jeff Hitman Harding oh. when he beat Donis, uh, Dennis Andres mm. in uh, Atlantic City 1989 in a fight promoted, believe it or not, by a very shifty real estate developer called Donald Trump, 1989 <laughs> Atlantic City. Yeah, so there you go. So there's been some great ones. And of course, I was ringside when uh, uh, Jeff Horn beat Manny Pacquiao. That was uh, phenomenal. Now, to win phenomenal. on points, to win on points, Grant Lee, in the hometown of Lopez, New York, I mean, 
that was a big decision to get the point to get the points decision. Yeah. But but is it historically it's been laced with bad decisions by judges. Has this been a bit of a turning point? Do you think um, and puts a little bit more faith oh, back in the boxing? Yeah, I don't think you could. I don't think you could argue with the decision. I mean, there was there was some scares when when uh, one judge gave it very closely to Lopez, but. Um, I, the, the, certainly the right decision prevailed. I mean, boxing's one of those subjective things. You and I, we could watch a fight and I could say, I think that bloke won closely and you could say, no, I think the other bloke won close. You know, but this was a, this was a pulsating fight all the way and the right decision was rendered. I mean, if, if Cambosis hadn't got it, it would have been a massive outcry. He did a, he did a great job. Now, I, when he dropped him in the first round, he dropped Lopez in the first round. Did he get automatic respect from Lopez, or do you think Lopez is ego oh, got in the way leading into this fight? Uh, no, well, I think uh, I think to some degree, just 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 watching it, I think maybe Lopez didn't realise just how quick Cambosis was. Cambosis hit him with a magnificent counter right hand in that first round to put him down. And as I was saying before, Lopez was coming off a win over Vasily Lomachenko, mm. who was regarded as almost like a freak in boxing, just an absolute genius. And Lopez terrified Lomachenko out of that fight. So I think he thought he was going to do the same thing to Cambosis. I think he's a heavy hitter, Lopez, and I think he thought he was going to um, intimidate him and bully him. And when Cambosis landed that beautiful counter right hand late in the first round, I think it just shook up uh, Lopez's equilibrium like he couldn't believe. And from that moment, he was pretty much... He was pretty much outgunned by Cambosis. Cambosis was just that little too quick for him, and I think uh, Lopez didn't realise just how fast and, and how uh, what, a, what a slick boxer Cambosis can be. Now, round ten, and you have to remember. Yeah. I was just going to say you have to remember that going into this fight, in, in years gone past, Cambosis has actually sparred literally with hundreds of rounds with Pacquiao over in the Philippines, helping Pacquiao prepare for fights. So he picked up a lot of lot of slick tricks. And he showed those against Lopez. Yeah, I saw Manny Pacquiao sent out a uh, a very nice text as well. Round 10, he was floored by that big right from Lopez. Did you feel at that stage that he'd run the world dry, Cambosis, or do you think he was was able to find something extra? Well, I certainly was a, a bit of a a bit of a scary moment for, for anyone that's a fan of Cambosis because it looked, um, as I was saying earlier, it looked a little bit like Jeff Horn against Manny Pacquiao that he put in so much into it, and then uh, the old. The, 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 the wily fox, the champion, was just sitting on him and waiting for him. And when, uh, when Cambosis went down in the 10th round, certainly Lopez must have thought, well, I'll overpower him now. And for a little while, it looked like that. It looked like mm. Cambosis was very tired, very rattled, and it uh, looked like in the, in the championship rounds, the champion was going to really put on a late surge. And he, he evened the fight up a little bit there, uh, Lopez, but gee, full credit to Cambosis. He went back to the corner and... Uh, they gave him some good advice, and Cambosis came out. He, he, he came out and once again stamped his authority on the fight, and, and Lopez couldn't regain any sort of a lead. Cambosis was uh, was there to win the title, and nothing was going to stop him. I asked this question to Johnny Lewis, the famous trainer. You've known for many, many years. I asked him this question once, and I want to get your your answer and see if it marries up to the same as his. If you put out great fighters, who you had a lot to do with. Let's say you put Jeff Harding, Jeff Fennick, Costa Zoo. Love more yep. to do. Let's put them all in a bar yep. and just shut the door and everyone sits outside. Who's the <laughs> one boxer that walks out, Victor? <laughs> well, pound for pound, it would have to be Jeff Fennick. And even without pound for pound, I'd still say Jeff. I mean, he was a freak. The things that he did, people, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 35 years or so since his, his glory days. But, you know, with a handful of amateur fights, or a bit more than a handful, he had about 28 amateur fights thereabouts, 
he was competing on the world stage at the Olympics. And then as a professional, he just mowed everybody down. I mean, he didn't just win close decisions. He just destroyed. When he was, when he was at that peak period from the mid-80s to the early 90s, no one could stay with him. He was the best fighter, I think, yeah. in the world, pound for pound. And he was just absolutely brilliant. Well, Je- uh, Jeff- and he had a lot of mongrel in him, too. Yeah, well, Johnny Lewis so, said uh, the same thing. He would do anything. Johnny said Jeff Fennick would walk out because he'd hit you with a pool, pool cue. He'd, he'd eye gouge, he'd bite your ear off, he'd hit you with a chair, he'd do everything. <laughs> there wouldn't be a stool left in the bar. <laughs> oh, great chat. Oh, what a great chat. All right, well, listen, thank you so much for your time tonight on Sports Day. Grant Lee Keezer, uh, author and journalist for the Daily Telegraph. Uh, we love your, your stories and we love your books as well. Thanks for your time and we can't wait for the next fight. Um, I guess the next one you're looking forward to is uh, Paul Gallon versus Darcy uh, Lussick. I mean, what a, what a sham. <laughs> Not quite the same input, but a lot of people will go along for the ride, I suppose. <laughs> Great, Lee. Yeah. Thanks for your time sure. on Sports Day. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench NRL. Has got two. Oh, in fact, he went on to take three. But the reason I didn't play the next dismissal, because basically, who is it? Howie went, oh, and he's got another one. It's like, it's just something that this bloke does all the time. <laughs> ben DeWashis joining us now from the Sydney Sixers on Sports Day. G'day, Benny. Hey, guys. How are you going? Yeah, we're gay. Well, you must be punt. We're a couple of days away now from uh, BBL 11. I can't believe it's BBL 11 kicking off on Sunday night straight after... Um, Bathurst, it's going to be a big day of sport on Sunday. I'll tell you what. Mate, I hope we can stay awake for you guys when you, uh, when you play the Melbourne Stars on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big game to kick us off, so hopefully there'll be uh, plenty of entertainment on Sunday night. Uh, you're going all right at the moment. I mean, uh, what are you sitting on? About 85 uh, wickets in the BBL. You're sitting sixth, the most wicket takers of all time. Uh, just a little warning going into this year. Dan Christian, who's what? How old's he now? 75? <laughs> now, he's only a few wickets behind you. You've got to, you've got to whack the old man away this year. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully I can take a few more wickets than what he'll take this year. But um, I think if he's taking more wickets than me, then that's probably <laughs> a good thing for the team. <laughs> hey, Benny, the uh, crowds, uh, reduced crowds last year um, with Big Bash, and you're hoping that the SCG will be packed to the rim with uh, with fans getting an opportunity to get back to see uh, live BBL? Yeah, definitely. It was, um, it was a bit of a strange year last year playing um, with a lot of empty stadiums, which is something that we're not used to with the Big Bash. So, um, you know, the, the final at the SCG last year, I, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but, the, you know, it felt like it was a full house and, um, you know, we're hoping to see a little bit more of that at the SCG. You know, we all absolutely love playing there, so... Um, yeah, hopefully more of what we experience in the final. How much goes into preparation, uh, Ben, with looking at a three-peat and then all of a sudden you become what they call a, a dynasty or a dynasty? Is anything spoken about internally about trying to get that three-peat or is it just that old, the old line that we keep throwing out in sport, which is we've just got to take every game as it comes? Don't say it, Benny. Don't uh, say yeah, it. I'm not, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say there's, you know, there's a little bit of talk about it and um, you know, we've obviously you know, got a bit of a method at the Sixers that's worked over the last few years. So I think it would be remiss to, to not look back at that and, and appreciate what we've done and, um, you know, sort of build that blueprint that we've got forward 
for this year and you know we've got pretty much an identical squad coming into this year so um if we can match our efforts you know the last two years um you know we've definitely got the personnel to to take it for a for a three peat and um you know hopefully that's that's what we can do ben do you feel like you're playing in an era in cricket where you're just blessed because of t20 cricket i mean you yourself you were in the ipl this year uh, you played in the England summer uh, in county cricket in T20. You travel around the world. Do you feel that you're just absolutely blessed to be a professional cricketer nowadays? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know T20 cricket's opened up you know so many options for for a lot of players and um, myself included. Um, you know, I had an absolute amazing time over in England. Learned a lot over there, playing in different conditions and. Um, yeah, I guess without T20, I, I might not have been able to experience that. So um, I think it can only help you as a player to experience those different conditions. And definitely when you sit back and reflect on um, you know, how lucky we are to, to play cricket, I think you know, the T20 side of it is definitely a big factor in that. I know we spoke to Steve Waugh. We don't want to name drop or Bruce on the show, but he said he doesn't like watching T20. He'd rather play it, didn't he, Sats? Mm, he did. And a lot of these, a little bit envious. A lot of these legends who who've obviously retired from cricket, they're they're very jealous, uh, not in a nice way of you blokes being able to play this form form of the game. Do you still love playing the four day game though? Yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't been uh, fortunate enough to play a whole lot of it um, in my career. I've had a fair few injuries that have sort of held me back from bowling long spells. So I've sort of fallen into a bit of a T20 mould just because it's a little bit easier on my body. So um, it's definitely something that I'm still still working hard on and trying to get there and, and play some shield cricket and um, experience the, the longer formats a little bit more. But um, for now, I'm more settled into a T20 career at the moment. And um, yeah, I'm sort of just focusing on that and seeing where that can go. Talk about experience. Um, unfortunately, Carlos Braithwaite, he's not going to re- uh, recover from shoulder surgery, but you replace him with a, a really good English fast bowler and Chris Jordan in T20 cricket. I think he averages around 26, 27. So pretty handy replacement to try and uh, defend the title again. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, CJ is going to fit right into that mould. He not only is you know, he's great with the ball, but he's you know, dynamic in the field and um, he can give the ball a good whack as well with the bat. So I think he'll... He'll replace Carlos really nicely and you know, he brings a, a lot of experience to the group and um, I think everyone's really excited for him to, to get around and um, to learn off him as much as, as much as anything else. And um, yeah, hopefully he, he's only here for a brief stay, but hopefully while he's here, we can get off to a good start and, and carry that momentum forward after he goes. Um, are you playing, are you in a bubble? Uh, not in a bubble per se, but we've got... Um, you know, we've got some protocols that we need to follow um, just to try and, and limit exposure. Um, but we're not not like last year where we were all in a bubble and um, couldn't leave that bubble. It's a, a little bit looser, but there's still um, you know protocols in place to, to protect the game and make sure that um, you know, we're not missing games due to being close contacts or, or picking up COVID itself. So um, a little, slightly easier than last year. Um, I wonder where the, I mean, you might be able to help us with this, Brisbane Heat and the Perth Scorchers, where are they basing themselves while their borders are closed? That is a great question. I'm actually actually not too sure. Um, We should know that. I'll let you know. We (laughs) should know that. I just got a bit lazy. I thought you might be able to help us out, Ben. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I've, I've got my own INF first few games, which are in Sydney and in Melbourne. So um, I'm not too sure where where those boys are set up and, and what's happening there. But um, I guess everything's changing pretty quickly these days. Yeah, it does. So um, you've just got to stay on your toes and, and just go where you're told. We love the BBL here, but you know, you've played for what, the Delhi Capitals and the IPL. How fanatical is it, is it over there? Mm. Uh, yeah, it is. It's um, yeah. I had, I had one experience a few years ago in India itself, um, and you know that was that was a bit of a different level. There, you know, they're absolutely crazy for it over there, and um, you know, there's just people everywhere just supporting you and, and cheering you on. So um, it's not. It's t- almost like a toned down version here. There's not obviously not as many people due to population and and whatnot. But I think that the you know, especially at the sixes, the crowd that we get at the at the stadium are just as loud and just as into it. So, are you um, a, are you a rock star in India? Do people do they do the locals know who you are, Ben? <laughs> some of them do. I'm definitely not as much of a rock star as some of the other boys that, that go over there and play for the big bucks. But um, yeah, I mean, if you walk around the streets um, whilst in India, there's, there's a fair chance that you know, someone's going to recognise who you are. Yeah, who is this six foot six bloke? Yeah, uh, wandering around from <laughs> Australia. Yeah. Can I ask you, which is a, it's a really important question I'm about to ask you here. So uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, a lot of thought goes into your answer. <laughs> your captain Moses Enriques, is he still supporting that really creepy mustache that he's got? Because he looks like well, a headmaster at Ben's a school. Ben's got one too, mate. Yeah, but it suits him. <laughs> yeah, true. Moses Enriques, is he still supporting that creepy mustache? <laughs> I mean, it, it was a it was a November thing that he was growing, and since it's the well, the second of December now, it's um, I, I haven't seen him yet, but I, I think it might be gone. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see on Sunday. God, let's hope so. Actually, <laughs> actually, we'll meant to talk to him. A couple it's not my creepy uncle. Oh, does he? Have you got a creepy uncle? <laughs> well, it's like good to know it runs uncle. through the family then, doesn't it? Whereas Ben's is more Tom Selleck, you yep. know. Like, have you do you know that Magnum PI show, uh, Ben from the eighties, Tom Selleck? Or am I just wasting my yeah, time? Yeah. Um, Can I say, no, Betty, no, I'm, I'm just looking at your photo that. now with your mustache. There's a lot of Freddie Mercury. There, there is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a yeah. lot of Freddie Mercury about yeah, you. Yeah, I've, I've had that one thrown around a little bit over the past sort of two years, but <laughs> I've, I've had it on there. He's not all teeth, though, is he? No, he's not. No. You know, you know, Freddie Mercury had four extra teeth in his mouth. Did he? Yep. There's can, a, there you go. There's a stat for you today. Take that when you're out in the middle uh, on Sunday <laughs> at the SCG, my friend, and you'll be able to share the way. We always ask the BBL players, if you had the choice of playing uh, in one league around the world, one T20 league around the world, what's the one, the ultimate one you want to go and play at? And why? And why? Apart from the Big Bash or Big Bash included? No, apart from apart the Big from Bash. Apart from the Big Bash. Um... Forget COVID. There's no COVID. No COVID. Okay. Um, I guess the one. I mean, I've been. I've experienced the IPL twice, but I've yet to play a game. So um, that's always that, that's always on there for my list of things to do. I definitely want to try and go over there and experience what it's like to actually be out in the middle and, and not just with a, with a water bottle in hand running it out to the team. How old are you, Ben? Tw- Mid twenties. Twenty seven. Mate, the correct answer is the bloody Caribbean, mate. <laughs> yeah, that was that second on the list. <laughs> we've got to edu- we've got to educate these boys, yeah, Sats. I know, I know. We've got to start thinking like <laughs> us, mate. You've got to get rum and nudity. That's <laughs> <laughs> all it's about the Caribbean. That's what you gotta aim for, mate. Uh, good luck. Uh the Sydney Sixers uh taking on uh the Melbourne Stars this Sunday night. 
It all kicks off the BBL 11 for 2021-2022 at the SCG. Get your tickets from all the usual outlets. Uh, ben Dwashis, uh, good luck, mate, this year. And uh, you hopefully you, you become the leading wicket taker by the end yeah. of the summer. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. It'll be a nice season if I get to there. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench NRL. Now on Off the Bench, time for a Racing Queensland update with Chris Nelson. The Tab Queensland Summer Racing Carnival has arrived. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. You'll find Saturday racing at Doombin and the Gold Coast and many other places uh, around Queensland today. G'day, Chris Nelson. G'day, Jase. How are you going? Uh, Mate, very good. So what are we looking forward to racing-wise? Well, we are looking forward to a terrific day of racing at Doombin. We have 10 races. Of course, that's because uh, we lost the recognition stakes last uh, last Saturday at the Gold Coast. That race was moved to Wednesday, and we lost it there as well. So third time lucky for the poor old recognition <laughs> stakes, which has been uh, tacked on to, uh, to the meeting at Doombin. And look, it's a great meeting. We've got the Group 3, George Moore. We've got a couple of really good races for the, uh, the three-year-old fillies and the three-year-old Colts and Geldings, the winning Rupert. And the mode. So, uh, some really nice races. And at the Gold Coast, uh, we've got eight races out there. Uh, Beck and Lenny, I think, in race two was one I thought would run really well. She loves the conditions. So, uh, I'll give her out as a tip today, Beck and Lenny. I think she'll run a good race. Beautiful. What about some uh, tips, mate? Uh, you've, you've been pulling out the uh, number twos, everything running second of late. Uh, should we back something for a place, or are you confident you've got a winner? Jason been giving me the number twos lately i can tell you and uh, race five number one at doombin i think it'll be a, a big big day for tony golan i think he'll train uh, a number of winners i think ryan maloney will have a good day as well and they combine uh in race five with number one tiger heart had two runs back from a break and look he hasn't seen a lot of daylight each of those runs he could have just about won both he hasn't been far away he's had a freshen up and uh, a nice trial recently, which he won. And he'll get a lovely run from that game. You really should box seat. And his uh, soft track form is very good. Hasn't seen anything worse than a soft track. Uh, so he'll get, he'll get through it okay. So race five, number one, Tiger Heart. And I'm going uh, in the George Moore with another one from the Golan Yard. This time, Steph Thornton will ride. Number four, Baller, who was very good in the Keith now at Doombin three weeks ago. Got back further than they would have wanted. But it really flashed to the line, ran third there. This time around from the good draw, he'll get a much better or much closer run to the speed. I can see him being uh, within striking distance of his stable mate, Zoo Style, in the straight. And I just think at the better odds, he's the one we need to be on. I think he can run Zoo Style down. So race nine, number four, Baller. Race five, number one, Tiger Heart. And if they both run second, Chase, you'll probably never hear from me on this show again. <laughs> well, actually, the smart punters gamble responsibly. will actually uh, multi those up to run a place. That's what they'll do. I probably will too. And then they'll win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, aren't you the curse? Uh, the Tab Queensland Summer <laughs> Racing Carnival has arrived. Head to queenslandsummercarnival.com.au. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. We'll catch you next week, mate. Look forward to it. Thanks, Chase. That's it for another Off the Bench uh, for another week. Uh, Badge is back Monday night on Sports Day with uh, Sats. Looking forward to having Badge back. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll catch you next week.